All right, if we get a couple of men to come, we'll receive the morning offering, and then we'll get right into our Sunday school lesson. All right. You okay this morning, brother? <laughs> you like the rest of us? <laughs> Can you pray for us? Father, we uh, thank you for this morning, Father. We just thank you uh, for the freedom to be here, Father. Yes, amen. Father, we uh, pray for our nation, Lord, that uh, we get people in there turn America around, Father. Father, we just bless, ask you to bless this offering and bless the services today, in Christ's name, amen. Amen. forgot my microphone I'd have been standing up here talking and none of you guys would have been able to hear me and that would have been a blessing to you probably thanks Martha all right yes yes how's this is this better all right I'm not gonna hold it like this so there we go how's that is that good all right I'm a mess this morning I was uh sitting there talking to Brother Dave about control line model airplanes that we used to play with when we were kids and stuff, and then I lost track of the time because we got in here a little early this morning, which is unusual for us to be as early as we were. So anyway, um, how's y'all's week been going? Good. Everybody good? All right. Lord blessing you, taking care of you. I, was, uh, I spent 10 minutes this morning apologizing to... Uh, Kyle and Darla Hastings for not being at their mother's memorial yesterday, which we completely forgot about. Just totally slipped our mind that, that that thing was even going on. And so I felt terrible about it. But I did get to watch it online this morning, which was interesting. Were, were, were y'all, how many folks came? Did several folks get here? It sounded like there were plenty of people here to support the family, and I was happy to hear that. But uh, boy, that, uh, that preacher that preached that thing, he was an interesting uh, character, <laughs> to say the least. I loved it. It was good stuff there. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's see. Last week, we were, as we were finishing up, we were just getting into an illustration that we were going to talk about. So as you guys recall, we were, at, kind of as a recap, we were talking about the, the sovereignty of God over are uh, over life, period. And that he's the one that's in control of these things and he's the one that takes care of measures, preserving it, blessing us with it, all these sorts of things. 
And right there at the end, we talked about these three women, right? Uh, Sarah, Hannah, and Elizabeth, how God opened their wombs up so that they could, that they could, have, a, uh, that they could have children. So anyway, before we get started, we'll have a word of prayer here, and then we'll get on with the lesson this morning. Father, we just come before you here this morning to um, uh, give you thanks and praise and to worship you. We'd ask that you would bless our time that we're going to spend together here this morning studying your word. Be with the preaching today as it goes on in your house. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So as we, were, as we were wrapping up there, the, um, the next thing was, was the, the, one of the uh, lessons, illustrations about this. And so talking about these wombs being opened. And, so, and it says here, it says, Many couples desiring babies but not able to conceive have gone to a pastor asking him to pray that God would bless them with a child. And then here's what it goes on to say. It says, sometimes God answers those prayers by prompting them to seek medical treatment and blessing it, and sometimes he simply opens the womb. Either way, these couples are reminded that only our sovereign God creates life. And so I kind of wrote myself a little note or a thing here about this, and, and it, it concerns our, our faith that we have and people that have a different viewpoint about this. See, someone might look at this and, and say, yeah, that lady was unable to, to have a child and they've been working on it for you know, three years now and they finally got to a doctor that knew how to do whatever it is they do. I mean, there's so many different things now, you can't hardly keep track of them. And the person ends up, this, this woman finally gets pregnant, they have a healthy child and what have you. Some people would say, oh, that's just the medical, you know, she finally got a hold of a good doctor, somebody that was good enough to do it. But we know the truth about that. It doesn't matter how good the doctors are or anything like this. It is what God wants to do. It's what God's will is. So there is a certain appeal in the logic that, um, that all these things come from God, including the really good doctors, right? God has given people different brains, and thank goodness they don't have all, you know, they don't have the brain that I have, or we wouldn't have any people around here. There wouldn't be any kids born. Uh, so anyway, different people have different skills, but all of those things, no matter what people's faith are, come from God. This, this is why, you know, I'm, I'm, not a big, I'm not a big medical practitioner. I don't like drugs. I, don't, I, I take some stuff, like take blood pressure medicine and this sort of but I don't like that. I don't, I don't uh, uh, like that I have to do that, but that's what these doctors say and what have you. But the fact that they are somebody that has wisdom, I recognize that their brains, their wisdom, their profession and everything, that's God's, God's gift. How a Christian goes about using that, we do it by faith. Other people do it by the science and what have you. So in this case here, they talk about this very, very thing. He simply opens up the womb. Either way, these couples are reminded that only our sovereign God creates life. And we want to keep that in mind, too, as we go about witnessing to people, when we go around uh, talking about different things. Last week, we kind of had a little, little bit of a discussion about the abortion issue that has gone on in our country since, the, since uh, the early 70s and what have you. So the next part of the lesson in here is the, um, and it's a, another one of your fill-in-the-blank things here, it's in the blessing of life. That's where we're gonna. That's where we're gonna continue the lesson here now in the blessing of life. Since God creates, and as we will see in a few moments, sustains life, we are dependent on Him for for fulfillment in our lives. All right, and and we're we're really we're dependent on God for everything. 
it, it's kind of it's kind of mind-boggling, maybe you might say, that when, when you think about it, you just sit here and you breathe. We don't even think about it. It's just a natural reflex and, and what have you. But every breath that we take is God-ordained. God knows it. He could stop it. He could, he could strike me down right now and just decide that right now it's time for you to come home, son. And, and that would be the end of it. Just like we all have that appointment in our, in our lives at some point here. So we, we rely on him for the fulfillment and everything in our life. Life is God's creative masterpiece. And he alone has the power to sustain it and give it meaning and purpose. And so there's another, there's another question here that will come up. And it's addressed later on in the lesson too. What is our meaning and purpose? You've got all kinds of people. What's the purpose of life? And there's all kinds of books written about it and all that kind of stuff. Well, it really boils down to we're supposed to serve God, love him, and we're supposed to tell people about the kingdom and take as many people to heaven as we possibly can if you want to boil the thing down in a, uh, in a nutshell, really. To attempt to, live, to attempt to live apart from God for our own purposes is both foolish and futile. So foolishness, because it's, uh, there is a God, and if you, don't, if you don't operate like you understand that and believe in it, then there is a certain level of foolishness to that. But the, the futile aspect of it is something that you might not realize until the end of your, the end of your life. If you're not a born-again believer, and maybe sometimes even if you are a born-again believer, and you're not doing what the will of God is for your life. In other words, you're being prompted by the Holy Spirit to do different things, and you kind of ignore it or you don't do like you're supposed to and everything. There is going to be some point in, in your last time on this earth where you might look back and go, man, what in the world did I do? I have just wasted all kinds of time. I have done this, I've done that. And so we talk about, we talk about that. That's the whole essence of this entire book is stewarding our lives. We should be stewarding our time and we should be stewarding our life. And as we get further and further into this lesson, you'll see that there's all these different subject matters. How to steward your time, how to steward your thoughts, how to steward your health, how to steward, how to steward, how to steward. And there's, I think there's nine chapters, nine different things here that, that go on with this. It's quite interesting. I'm about halfway through reading the, the book right now. And there's some really, really great stuff in here that I think will be benefit to all of us. All right. Um, as long as we view ourselves independently of God, we will find our days trying to pursue our self-made dreams, and we will end our lives never having accomplished that for which we were created. Yeah, God didn't, God didn't particularly create us to be, you know, a business owner or a successful doctor or an airplane pilot or whatever. He didn't particularly create us for that. But... He does allow us to have free choice, and we do what we do in our professions and all this sort of thing, but he wants to use our influence and use our position in society to further the kingdom. That's what the whole, that's what the whole thing is, is all about. And then we'll talk more about what we were actually created for. The fate of the individual and nation, so this is interesting, the fate of the individual and nation, whether blessing in life or misfortune in death, or, and death often hangs upon obedience or disobedience to God. 
So this is a real interesting thing. I see uh, Dave in his prayer there for the offering this morning. He prayed for our nation that there would be some leaders put in there. God's the one who puts these people in place to turn this nation of ours around. You know, it's, uh, I think it's widely known among Christians that um, what our country needs is a revival. We, we, need, we need to turn back to God and we need to do that. And that may be the only, that may be the only uh, thing that can, can happen. But God will use He'll use different people, just like in our, our last illustration there. He uses medical people to, to help somebody have a child. God opens the womb. God tells us if our nation turns and repents of our sin and turns our face to him, that he'll, he'll hear us from heaven and heal the nation. That's really what we need to be doing. It would be really cool if, if America got back to like it, like it used to be back in the old days. And we're even going to talk about that here in just a, just a minute. As Moses prepared for his death... He reminded the Israelites, whom he had led for 40 years, by the way, of the determining principle of life, obedience to God. He challenged them to obey God's commands and told them that both the choice to do right and the choice to do wrong had expected fruit. Holy Spirit prompts us, and we have to do what he wants us to do here. Here's Deuteronomy 30:15 says this, See... I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. So we got a choice. He set some things in front of us, and then here's what you can do. You can either choose to go down this path, or you can choose to go down this path. I, I try to go down this good path most of the time, but sometimes I find myself way off on, you know, left of course here and, and not doing exactly like I'm, I'm supposed to do. And then we have a loving God that if you just ask for forgiveness, he'll be, he'll be prompt in, in doing that for you. Obedience to God is a choice, but it is a choice that determines the quality of our life. All right? Not measured, not measured necessarily in how many dollars we have or the size of the house or the boat or whatever that we have here. It's measured in the overall quality of our life. Where do we get our joy from? Are we getting our joy from joy in the Lord? Are we getting our joy because we have, you know, a whole bunch of stuff that's sitting out in the driveway rusting right now? See, that's where you have to, have to look into this. So here's, a, here's the, the next illustration in here. And this I'm going to elaborate on just a little tiny bit because I found out some things here that I didn't particularly know. And so I printed out a couple things to, to share with you guys. In this illustration here, it says, Our forefathers knew the truth of God's blessings for obedience, and that's why they established America on a Judeo-Christian principles. All right? And there'll be a lot of people that will argue that this, this country is not founded on any Christian principles at, at all, that the founding fathers were a bunch of atheists, they were a bunch of slave owners, they were this, that, and the other thing. I mean, you have to have your head in a rock somewhere if you can't go through Washington and just see what's out there and understand that these people, or read any of it and understand that these people had faith in, in Jesus Christ. They knew, the, they knew the truth about this. In 1774, the very first Continental Congress invited a minister, Jacob Duche, to begin each session in prayer. Any of you guys ever heard of Jacob Duche? Yeah, his last name spelled D-U-C-H-E. I had heard of him just because I maybe read his name in a history book or something somewhere, but I didn't know anything about the guy. And I thought, I'm going to look up something about this Jacob Duche and, and, and let the Sunday school class know about it. Again, during the 
Constitutional Convention of 1787, Benjamin Franklin proposed that the convention open each day in prayer. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, might have been somebody else I was talking to besides the Sunday school class, that we commented about the fact that when they were all having these sessions, they were in these buildings, no air conditioning, it's the middle of the summer and everything out there in Philadelphia, and they were getting nowhere, just absolutely nowhere. Everything, at the end of every day, they were like, yeah, we've been in here for 18 hours and we have not accomplished anything. We can't agree on anything, there's nothing but a bunch of fighting and bickering. And Benjamin Franklin came out and said, you know what, I think we really probably ought to have God's blessing on, on this thing. Um, if, if a sparrow can't fall and, and God knows about it and all this stuff, and the, the scripture says hey, if, you build a, if you build a house without God, you're, you're laboring in vain and all this, I think that's a little sign out here on our church building. As a matter of fact, Ben Franklin said, we need to include God in in what we're doing here. And so they started every session with prayer from then on, and six weeks later, they had pretty well drafted the entire Constitution. That's God's hand of blessing. I, I, can't imagine, I can't imagine sitting in this room right here with all of you guys trying to decide what color the carpet is without having God's hand in it, because there is as many different opinions in this room as there are people, and now these guys are trying to come up with an entirely, entirely different government something that has never been tried, people basically ruling themselves. And incidentally, if you're going to rule yourself, there's not self-government without self-discipline. You have to have discipline to do that. That was an old Paul Harvey used to say that all the time in his broadcast. And uh, um, that, really is the, uh, that really is the truth. So Ben Franklin says this, and then says, evidence of this spiritual heritage is engraved on our great monuments and public buildings in Washington, D.C., if you approach the chamber of the United States Senate from the east, for example, you'll see these words at the, at the entrance. Anuat coptus, a Latin phrase meaning God has favored our undertakings. And then the other one, the words in God we trust are written above the southern entrance. Uh, the southern entrance. Now listen, I had, um, so I, I told you I looked up this Jacob Duchesne. This, this is an interesting, uh, interesting character here. He was born in Philadelphia in 1737, son of a colonel, Jacob Duchesne Sr., later was the mayor of Philadelphia. He's a grandson. He had all these different things that go on, on to tell a little bit about this guy. After, after graduating as valedictorian in 1757, he studied briefly at Cambridge University be before being ordained an Anglican clergyman by the Bishop of London and returning to the colonies. So this guy was actually in, in he, he was high up authority over in London, so he was on the other side of the equation, right? Returns to the colonies, comes back over here. In 1759, he married Elizabeth Hopkinson, sister of Francis Hopkinson, and he was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. I had never even heard that guy's name, I didn't know. I've never read all the signers of the Declaration of Independence. I don't know who those, all those different people are. In 1768, he was elected to the American Society. Duchesne first came to the attention of the First Continental Congress in September of 1774 when he was summoned to Carpenter's Hall to lead the opening prayers. All right. Opening the session on the 7th of that month, he read the 35th Psalm and then broke into extemporaneous prayer. Here was his prayer. Our Lord, our Heavenly Father, high and mighty King of kings and Lord of lords, 
who dost form thy throne, behold all the dwellers on earth, and reignest with power supreme and uncontrolled over all the kingdoms, empires, and governments. Look down in mercy, we beseech thee, on these our American states who have fled to thee from the rod of the oppressor and thrown themselves on thy gracious protection, desiring to be henceforth dependent only on thee. To thee have they appealed for the righteousness of their cause. Now this, this prayer goes on for, it's another page and a half, all right? But it's all the same thing. God, we want you to be looking on our endeavor here. God, we're, we're counting on your authority. God, we're doing this. God, we're doing that. This thing is all, if you read this guy's prayer and you don't think they were Christian men, you're, you just got, there's something wrong with you. Anyways, um, he goes down and he talks about all this stuff. Then, he, then it says this, the prayer had a profound effect on the delegates as recounted by John Adams to his wife. And then here's what happened. On July 4, 1776, when the United States Declaration of Independence was ratified, Duché, meeting with the church's vestry, passed a resolution stating that the name of King George III of Great Britain was no longer to be read in the prayers of the church. Duché compiled a crossing out said prayers from his Book of Common Prayer, committing an act of treason against England, an extraordinarily and dangerous act for a clergyman who had taken an oath of loyalty to the king. On July 9th, Congress elected him to be the first official chaplain. All right. So here, this guy seems like he's got a he's got a pretty good got a pretty good direction going, right? So firm in the faith, Christian. Then some persecution comes along. The long and the short of it is. This guy denounces America, says we're all wrong, we don't want anything to do with this, goes back, to, the, goes back to, to England, and that's where he lived out the rest of his time, just totally, like, said forget about all these prayers, forget about everything. Now, how that, how that can happen is, is beyond me, but I do know this, I've had personal experience with that. Sometimes I stand up here at this pulpit and I'm firm in my faith and I tell you guys about things and I work and I try and I study and I all this. And in five hours from now, I find myself looking at something or doing something or thinking some thought or something that I shouldn't. And it's like, wow, I've really, I've really missed the mark. So I ask God for grace then when it comes to those things and to stay away from it, that when there's finally going to be somebody in here with the dull knife getting ready to lop my head off unless I denounce Christ that I'll have the courage and the power and the faith to do that. But man, this was surprising to see what this guy, what, what happened. It's, there's a whole bunch of stuff. He's, he's all over the internet out there. Hero to some because they're the, they're the ones that, uh, that go around and say, oh yeah, the, uh, uh, see, he wasn't such a great Christian after all. The, this thing wasn't found on but later on, they had people that came in here and prayed, guys like Benjamin Franklin and all this stuff, that prayed for our country and actually did the, did the, uh, the founding of it on things that we're supposed to be looking into primarily the way that God would bless us if we just continue to ask for his blessing on our, uh, on our uh, nation here. So I might have mentioned to you guys back a little while ago that there was a, there was a book that I read and it's titled The 5,000-Year Leap, all right? It's a book all about the founding of this country. And I wanted to read a couple of quotes from, from you about that, because it, or from that book to you guys, because it just 
backs up everything that, that uh, Pastor Paul Chapel is talking about in stewarding life and how we need to have God in not just our lives, but in, the, in, our, in our nation and how we operate things here. The first one here, it's, it says, this is a quote by Benjamin Franklin. Here is my creed. I believe in one God, the creator of the universe, that he governs it by his providence, that he ought to be worshiped, that the most acceptable service we render to him is in doing good to his other children, that the soul of man is immortal and will be treated with justice in another life respecting its conduct in this life. These I take to be the fundamental points in all sound religion, Ben Franklin. That was, a, that was out of this book, The 5,000-Year Leap. This one right here was the one that I primarily wanted to, uh, wanted to read and to look into here for just a minute. It's a, it's a quote by Alexis de Tocqueville. He said, I saw, now this, this was a guy, he came over here because there, was, there were all these things going back and forth over the ocean. We didn't have internet, we didn't have anything, so it was traveling back and forth on these boats. People would get back over there and they'd go, you ought to see what's going on in America over there. This place is amazing. There are people that actually have their own lives. They have their own businesses. They have their own property. They have all these different things. It's, it's amazing what's going on. You've got to come over here and see it. So this guy did go, come over and see it. And here's what he wrote. He said, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless prairies, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. Amen. Right? People preaching the gospel, people talking about the Lord, people talking about how we need to have our foundation set firm in his righteousness, in his direction. All right? Did I understand the secret of her genius and power? America is great because she is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Yikes. Boy, we're kind of, kind of there right now, aren't we? We've got some things going on in our country here that just, I don't know. I love this country, and I've been around this planet. I've been all over the place on this planet. There's nothing like America. That's, that's just pure and simple. It's just the truth. There's nothing like it anywhere. And, uh, uh, but, boy, we've got, some, we've got some problems here in our country that we need to get uh, taken care of. There's a bunch of other quotes there from, from that 5,000-year leap book that I won't bother going into here. But we'll keep on going on with the lesson and kind of keep, keep that stuff in mind here. So, anyways, um, so what is the purpose of our lives? What is the purpose of our lives, and why did God invest his creative expertise in us. So Revelation 4.11 says this, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure, and they are and were created. Numbers 14.21 states it like this, But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Well, God created us for his pleasure, and only as we live to glorify him will we be fulfilled. Jesus further commissioned us to bring God's glory by telling others of his great gift of salvation. To live for God's glory is to make spreading the gospel a central part of our lives. 
Now, I think we've all heard that somewhere before, right? We had a whole bunch of lessons on that here over the past several few months about this witnessing to people, telling people about Jesus. Mark 16, 15 says this, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. In the book of Revelation, God confirms that his eternal purpose of creation and redemption will one day culminate in absolute fulfillment. When we invest our lives in pursuing God's goals for us, we are assured of victory before we even start doing it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right, and then here's, a, here's another quote. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That was a guy, C.T. Studd. Never heard of him. This was the first time I've ever seen his name mentioned anywhere. So anyhow, so now we've talked about the, the blessings of life, the giving of life, and now finally see here in the conclusion of this earthly life here. Conclusion is one of your underlined fill in the blank things there. It ought to be on your, on your page there in the thing, in the conclusion of this earthly life. Sometimes God allows a life to end because of sin, as in the case of the flood of Noah's day. Yeah, there was some sin there, right? Interesting, a uh, little conversation that Patty and I had with, with Darla just this morning about her mama. And uh, um, she, was, she was talking about how at the, be, at the beginning of this thing, she had mentioned to that preacher that there's going to be a whole bunch of unsaved family members at this church service. And could you please make sure that this is a salvation message? You know? and, it, and it sounded to me like it was when I watched it. It sounded pretty, pretty good. And so, um, you know, Darla was... Darla was talking about some people that were at this thing and, and what have you. And I told her, I says, you know, it might, be that, uh, it might be that your mother's untimely death. I understand this was a pretty bad car wreck or something that she got in. Uh, what was she, about 64 years old? Maybe it was pretty, pretty close to that. So, 65 years old, yep. That's pretty young to die nowadays, really, you know. So I don't know anything about her health or any of that kind of stuff ahead of time. But here she is in this car wreck. And I told Darla, I says, Maybe that's, what, maybe that's what God's using this to get those people that were in this church service under this type of preaching to come in here. Maybe that's how God's using your mom and her final time here on this earth to get a couple more souls saved and, and what have you. So uh, God allows, allows these things to happen. In Genesis 6:17, it states it kind of like this. And behold, I even I do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. Sin is, in fact, the reason for all death. Everything happens because of that. Amen. Sometimes God uses that problem to, to make sure that somebody else's sin is taken care of. Pretty interesting the way he does it. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Yeah, the conclusion of life, that's where we're at here. The conclusion of this earthly life, God even has a whole bunch to do with, with that, right? Um, you know, when, you're, when you have someone that that's, uh, finds out they're pregnant, right, first thing they do is go to the doctor. 
boy, we want to find out how the baby's doing, and we want to find out how the mama's doing, and all that stuff. And then there's all these different checkpoints and all these different things that come up during that, and, and now it's finally the day of delivery, and the baby's there, and they're either in a hospital or they're with midwives, and they've got all kinds of education and all kinds of of equipment, all kinds of people standing by in case there's something going wrong or what have you. And boy, that baby shows up and maybe there's complications, maybe there's not, but there's all kinds of preparation and there's people doting over that baby and the baby stays around and there's nurses changing its diaper and there's this and this and this and this, right? All kinds of stuff, all kinds of help when you come into this life. There's all kinds of help as you're going through your life, too. There's just, uh, you know, people to help you with this. You got a problem with this, and you call somebody, and you ask them to help out with things, and you got friends, and you have accommodations and ways to get around. We're not walking. We drive vehicles. We do all this kind of stuff, right? But then you come to the end of your life. You still have all the friends. You still have people that are concerned about you and everything. But when it's your appointed time to go, there's not enough money there's not enough equipment, there's not enough good doctors, there's not enough anything that's going to keep you from meeting your appointment with death, right? And so we've got all these things here, and uh, I tell people it's the only part of our life that you go through where you're not going to have any help. There's nothing that can rescue you from that. It's a, it's a moment between just you and God, period. So you better believe, you better have that part of the equation wrapped up before it's forever too late to get it, to get it wrapped up here. All have sinned. Sometimes a life is ended because it is God's will. We trust him to perfectly work all the details of his life and death for our good and his glory. He retains his sovereignty over life and the withholding of life. Yeah, he's got, all the, uh, he's got all the cards here, doesn't he? He's the one that's in control of every aspect of everything that goes on. 1 Samuel 2, 26, 2, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 2, 6 says this, The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and he bringeth up. Job 34, 14 and 15, If he set his heart upon man, if he gather unto himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh shall perish together and man shall turn again unto dust. Psalm 104.29 says this, Thou hidest thy face, they are troubled, thou takest away their breath, they die and return to their dust. Additionally, God is sovereign over the length of life. King Hezekiah was sick unto death. Well, remember this story. But upon Hezekiah's earnest request, God added 15 years to his life. Boy, isn't that, uh, isn't that interesting? I just, need, I just need some more time. Okay, you got 15 more years is how this is going to work out for you. I wonder if it's like 15 years right down to the second. See, this is the way, <laughs> this is the way a goofy mind like mine works. You know, if you could get out his wristwatch, they didn't have those back then, his sundial, I guess, and figure out what, uh, where that was all going to end for him. Isaiah 38.5 says this, Go and say to Hezekiah, thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer and have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add thy days 15 years. Man's life is loaned to him at God's good pleasure. And true life consists not in the transient though sometimes prosperous life of the wicked, but in having God as my portion, is what this, this uh, textbook says here. Psalm 73, 17, and then also verse 26 says this, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. 
My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So if God gives life and if God takes and even lengthens life, we need to learn to steward our lives according to his direction. Life is too complicated for us to manage on our own. King Solomon, the wisest man to ever know this truth in 1 Kings 3, 7 says this, And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. Life contains a million variables, and many of them are outside of our control. Boy, you ever, you ever feel like that with your life? You got all these different things going on. You got your to-do list and all that stuff. And then five minutes into the do list that day, something comes up and that's the end of the to-do list. There's all these variables, you know. One of the things that I always uh, had problems with in mathematics was, uh, but I like it now. I like doing these sort of things. Never liked it when I was in school. That's probably why I flunked everything that I tried to do. But um, uh, algebra and physics and calculus and all this stuff where there's all these variables and then sometimes they can even vary different than than they did the last time they varied and you go in here and you start working on this boy there's variables and there's variables in our life god knows the variables he knows the equation he knows how to figure it all out but what we got to remember it's it's according to his will not according to what we're trying to get accomplished here so life contains all these variables and many of them are outside of our control I would say that almost all of them are outside of control when it comes to, to my life. It seems like every time I try to make a decision about something, there's something else that comes up that, that negates it. Um, uh, part, of, part of what negates it has a name. Her name's Patty. <laughs> she will, uh, she'll tell me, like, hey, that's really like the worst idea you've ever had, Jeff. You better just forget about that. If we want a life of significance and success, we must look to God the giver and sustainer of life for instruction on how to steward our lives and we must commit to following his directions for success. All right, so the next underlined thing in part uh, four of this then is the promise of eternal life. Boy, this is, this is where I, I, I like this part. This is, really, this is really great stuff. The promise of eternal life. Throughout this lesson, we've been speaking of the stewarding of our earthly lives. What about your eternal life? After this life, we all enter into eternity. There is no middle place or reincarnation. This life, as valuable as it is and as important as it is to, to steward it, is minuscule in proportion to eternity. Right? You've all heard the story about you, you take a rope and you stretch it out for the next 10,000 miles and the first centimeter on that rope is our earthly life, and then everything after that to as far out as you could possibly ever imagine or see is eternity. We probably ought to work on that part of the thing instead of this little earthly thing here. Um, anyway, it's, it's minuscule. Quote, sometimes we think we're in the land of the living on the way to the land of the dying, when in fact we're in the land of the dying on our way to the land of the living. This was a fellow, Dr. Howard Hendricks said that. Boy, isn't that the truth? We're going we're gonna to be alive forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. But here, this, when I was born, July 29th of 1961, or I'm sorry, 62. I was born in 60. Boy, when you get old, you can't remember anything. Uh, July 29th, 1962, I was born. As soon as I came out of my mother's womb, my journey towards the end of my life began. So it was constantly dying. When you're, when you're first born is when you first start to die here. So anyway, that's what we're doing here. 
from our eternal God. That's a, that's a filling. This is A. From our eternal God, here's what we have. Eternal life is a gift from our eternal God made possible through the death of Jesus Christ. It's only made possible, by the way, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus and you faithfully acknowledge who he is, what he did, and you have faith that his shed blood is going to be the atonement for your sin. And that's the way that you get to heaven after this thing. Romans 6, 23 again, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 5, 8, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Boy, I'm glad I didn't have to clean up my mess before he came around and saved me. I could come to him as messed up and fouled up and as filthy and just whatever as I was and say, Father, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. Please save my soul. And wow, hallelujah, he did it. Amen. Our sin demanded the death penalty. And Jesus Christ, the eternal God, paid the death penalty in our place. Christ's death is what it took for us to have eternal life. Salvation from sin through faith in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is a promise Promise from God who can't lie. But God will redeem, this is Psalm 49, 15, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave for he shall receive me. And then we're supposed to pause, Selah, sit there and think about that for a minute. And this is the promise that hath promised us even eternal life. 1 John 2, 25. All right, here's why all this happens. B, because of the empty tomb. You know, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, our faith is all in vain. We're pretty miserable people because of the way we live our life and everything. But on the third day, he rose from that tomb and went over there looking for him. Somebody comes along and says, well, you're looking for a living guy among the dead here, folks. He left. He's, he's gone. He, he, he rose up just like he told you he was going to because of the empty tomb. The empty tomb, external proof of Christ's resurrection from the dead, is our hope for eternal life. If Jesus were no longer alive, we could have no hope for life at the end of our earthly life. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is life. John eleven twenty five through 27 states it like this. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Yeah, I do. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. John 14, 6 states it like this. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Boy, that's a pretty exclusionary statement. We talked about that here a little while back, about how that's very offensive to people, that there's not any inclusivity there whatsoever. Whoever believes on him is included. But if, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're, you're done. When you take your last breath, you're in a place called hell is what, it, uh, what the Bible tells me. Here's a, here's a teaching tip it says here. I always like the teaching tips because I need lots of them. It says, before concluding this lesson, you may wish to give an invitation. Emphasize the importance of eternal life and the fact that they trust Christ today. They are in the right place to begin stewarding their new life. Offer to speak with anyone after class who has a question about eternal life. I doubt that anybody in this room has a question about this. I think we're all faithful believers in what we're doing. But you never know who's sitting in a class. And this guy never knows who's reading his book that he wrote. So he puts this in there. 
this Paul Chapel is you, we, we've met him, we've been around him and all that stuff. When you're, when you're near this man, and particularly when you read his books, he has a burden for people's souls. There's no question about it. He tells people about Jesus, witnesses to him, talks. So it's, it wasn't surprising to see that thing in his lesson plan. Here's the conclusion of this. We're all created with the same main purpose to glorify God, but God has given each of us a unique set of desires, aptitudes, and gifts to fulfill our purpose create, creatively. Even as your fingerprints are distinct from every other person's, so your personal set of opportunities and gifts are unique to you. Scripture tells us that even before our birth, God has specially crafted individual purposes for your lives. God has, uh, or remember Jeremiah, God's affirmation of his unique plan for Jeremiah's life bears repeating. Here's what it says in Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God didn't design us to live a cookie cutter life. Doesn't want any of us to be exactly the same. We're all different, you know. I'm much more handsome than everybody else, every other man in this room, and so there's my burden that I have to go through life with, right? Is that right there? He has given every Christian a big picture mission to glorify him through making his salvation known, but he gives each of us individual ways to fulfill that purpose. Yeah, we ought to listen to the Holy Spirit. We ought to, we ought to look at, at how that's all going to work and, and, uh, and pay attention to what he says. Wise stewards look beyond the choice of today, the outcomes of tomorrow. What investor opens a portfolio with no plan with the predicted outcome? And then finally, as we go through the very end of this lesson, it says this right here. Matthew 25, 21. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And then hearing these Lord's words of praise won't happen tomorrow unless we plan to live it out today. That's what we got to do here. All right, at the end of the thing here, I don't think these study questions are in your, in your book here. Yeah, they're not. That, that should be the end, of the end of the handout there. Anybody have any questions about anything on the handout? Anybody miss any of the... Every nativity scene has the same familiar figures. Mary, Joseph, shepherds and kings, camels and cows and sheep. Stewarding is what God wants us to do. What is the purpose? What is our purpose on earth? To glorify God. That's the answer. That's, that's the answer to the question. What truth do Jeremiah 1.5, Psalm 139, 13 and 16 and Luke 1.15 15.